in the scriptures we find people acting out the humility that we should have in Christ acting it out using words using actions to say look I am here to serve you Jesus said if you want to be great in his kingdom we should be the servant of all and every time we see this in the scriptures we should go back and say Lord give me a simple servant's heart In today's world, humility is seen as weakness, especially when you're a person of influence or prestige. Being willing to defer to someone that society has decided is below your status should not be done. Pastor Daniel is going to teach about Lot, who was a leader in the town of Sodom, and how his sense of hospitality caused him to behave in a way that others might have thought below his station. It's a lesson that it would benefit us all to learn. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 19 as he begins his message, Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. As we continue to study the book of Genesis together here in this series called Patriarchs. Now before we get started, I did want to say if you're a parent, you have a young child here. The subject matter of today's message is going to be in the PG-13, maybe PG-16. Just because it's in the Bible, I'm not going to be putting anything else in there. But today's one of those messages where, you know, if you have little kids in here, you might want to take them out to the kids' church. So... I'm just looking out for my brothers and sisters. Now, we left off at the end of Genesis chapter 18, and we found that Abraham was interceding. He was drawing near to God, and he was standing in the gap for the righteous of Sodom. If you recall, the Lord and two angels came and visited Abraham. They reaffirmed to him and Sarah that they were going to have a child, even in Sarah's old age. And as they were leaving, Abraham finishing well by walking them out to the edge of his property, then the Lord says, should I tell Abraham, my servant, what's going on? And he clues Abraham into the reality that these two angels are here to see if the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was as it was told to them through prayer, and they were there to destroy it. And we saw Abraham very simply standing in the gap, leaning into God's perfections, his characteristics, and saying, far be it from you, Lord, to destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. That's not like you, God. And no doubt, hopefully in his mind, he's thinking of his nephew Lot, saying, if you go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, I know where my nephew lives. And so he's concerned, and he's standing in the gap. And we find out in this passage that God says, look, if there's only 10, I won't destroy the city. 
So now it ends with the simple phrase, so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now, from there, look at what happens. So Genesis chapter 19, verse one says this. So the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please Turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. So it's fascinating that in chapter 18, Abraham is sitting in his tent And he sees these guys coming, and he's moved with hospitality. And we made a strong point about hospitality being a very Christ-like thing to do. Simply blessing people. And Abraham goes out of his way, and now these angels show up at Sodom, and it's evening time. So we're placing it at a time in the day. It's the evening time. The sun is about to set. And Lot is sitting there in the gate of Sodom. Now, what's interesting is that in the Bible, when someone is sitting in the gates, the gates were where the elders of the city assembled. They were where the people who had some sort of sway or somebody who was well thought of, they sat in the city gates. So in a lot of ways, when you see and Lot is there, he sees these guys come on in. He's sitting in a place of prestige And he sees these guys come in, and a lot like his uncle Abraham, Lot is moved to be hospitable to them. He rises to meet them in verse 1, and he bows himself with his face toward the ground. This is traditional Near Eastern hospitality. This elder in this town now approaches these men. He bows his face to the ground in an outward sign of humility. He says to them, Hear now, my lords, Lowercase l, lowercase o, lowercase r, and lowercase d. Again, it's that word Adonai. It's you who are above me. And it's amazing how often in the scriptures we find people acting out the humility that we should have in Christ. Acting it out. Using words, using actions to say, look, I'm here to serve you. Jesus said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, we should be the servant of all. And every time we see this in the scriptures, we should go back and say, Lord, give me a simple servant's heart. And we should all at the same time repent of our lack of a servant's heart. Because no matter how much of a servant you are, we all are, if we're honest about what's in our heart, nobody really likes to be a servant. We always would rather be served than to serve. And then we think of the teachings of Jesus where he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're supposed to be the same way, so we don't want to miss it when we see it. So he says, here now, my lords, turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. He's like, listen, come stay at my house. And they originally say, no, we want to spend the night in the open square. And we're going to see how this is going to play out. But it says, I love this, Lot insisted strongly. I think it's an important thing. Oftentimes, we're too proud to let people serve us when the need arises. Some of us are like that, where somebody wants to bless you, but you are too proud to let them. 
And I think that it's an important thing when there's a time that someone wants to bless you, give them the blessing of blessing you. Don't be too proud to receive blessings from people because there's a season for that. And these angels, they wanted to stay in the square, but Lot was insistent. He was insistent and the angels relented. And it's beautiful here because what it says is that Lot made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now between what we saw in Genesis 18 and now what we're seeing in Genesis 19, you're figuring that these angels were probably pretty full at this point. They'd been feasting. They had a feast with Abraham. Now they're having a feast at Lot's house. A feast with unleavened cakes. I like that. That's why I love the Bible. People are full in the Bible. They're enjoying food in the Bible. Now, in verse 4, things start to get really ugly inside. So far, all's well. But look, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. In verse 5, and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And then my translation has the word carnally in italics. I'll explain that. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in here to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out with their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Now, this gets really nasty very quick. So they finish feasting, it's bedtime, and all of a sudden it says that all of the men, all of the people of Sodom, from every quarter, young men and old men, they all came together and they knocked at Lot's door and they said, Lot, where are those two travelers? We want you to send them out because we want to have sexual relations with them. Okay? So remember, these angels are there to check it out, what's going on, and you can imagine this. Imagine if all of a sudden a visitor shows up at your house. You're like, hey, come stay with me. And all of a sudden there's a knock at your door and your whole neighborhood's there. And they're like, hey, where's your visitors? We want to have sexual relations with them. That's exactly what goes on here. Now, this is not the only sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, but this is the final straw. This is where the word sodomy comes from. So sodomy you guys all know what it means, and if you don't know, I wouldn't encourage you to Google it. Just ask somebody. Please don't Google it. Please. Please. It's where it comes from, right? And so you think to yourself, oh, this is bad, right? This is bad. And then it gets almost worse because Lot has a great idea. Look at what Lot says. It says, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. 
a good dad. He's got, I'm being facetious. So he's got two daughters who have never known a man. So they're virgins. And he said, listen, instead of doing what you want to do to these guys, here's my two daughters. Do what you want to do to them. Just don't do wickedly to the men. Now, I need to unpack this. Now, first, homosexuality. The Bible teaches from cover to cover that any sort of same-sex intimacy, if you can even call it that, is an abomination against God. That means it is outside of God's design. You get in the book of Leviticus chapter 18 in numerous places, Leviticus chapter 20. You get it obviously here because we're going to see how this is going to end. Once you move into the New Testament, people would say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. And that's true. Jesus doesn't use the word one time, but Jesus also says that God's law is perfect and he came to fulfill it. So the reality is, is that even though Jesus didn't use the word, doesn't mean he, does, he believes it's not sinful. He's acknowledging that God's law is perfect. The Apostle Paul uses homosexuality numerous times, most specifically in Romans chapter 1. And if you want to read it in your own time, I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 27. To give you a, a, th- what he's saying in a nutshell, he's saying in effect that when people choose to reject God, God gives them over to a depraved mind. So when God, the way God judges rebellion is to give somebody over to their rebellion. God's greatest judgment on somebody is letting them do what they want to do naturally. And that's a terrifying thing. See, what makes a Christian different from a non-Christian is not necessarily our actions. The difference is, is that when something we want to do is wrong, for a Christian, you get that check of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're not going to do it. But because you're his kid, he's going to say, hey, you're my child, not for you. That's the main difference. And so I always tell people, when someone comes into my office and says, Pastor Daniel, I've made a million mistakes, and they're crying about it, I say, you know what? I'm sorry that you've made a million mistakes. The fact that you're in here weeping about it is a good thing. Because that proves that you are God's child. Because you are convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm like, there are thousands of people doing exactly what you've been doing, and they don't think twice about it. Because God loves his own enough to say, not you, my child. With that reality being the case, one of the ways God judges humanity is to give them over to exactly what they want. That's why we have this tendency to think, well, if God is against greed, why did the greedy get richer? Right? You ever hear logic like that? If we know greediness is bad and they're oppressing people, why do they end up with more? Because by God giving them more, he's actually judging them. There's nothing worse than being judged by God allowing you to have what you want. Not what he wants for you, but what we want. And Romans 1 teaches that when a culture will not acknowledge God, God will give them over to the way that they think. And as that progresses, you will start to have aberrations in God's created order. And the most basic one that Paul picks up is that a man is going to have attractions for a man or a woman is going to have attractions for a woman. Why? Because when God created him, he created a male and female. Diverse but unified. One humanity but with man parts and woman parts. That's the most basic way God created things. 
And so when there is an aberration or a warping of nature, you have men desiring men and women desiring women. Now, if you put all that together and you look at the world that we live in today, homosexuality is not the problem today. Homosexuality is a symptom of a bigger problem. The reason it would seem that homosexuality is flourishing in America today is not because there's a problem with homosexuals. The problem is there's a whole culture that has rejected God. And that is the outworking of that rejection. It's a symptom. So if I have a cough, the cough isn't the problem. There's something in my lungs that's the problem. And that's why I believe the greatest deterrent against a culture that is rejecting God is not more righteous laws, but is the people who believe in that God to follow hard after him and be a witness, which will make the difference. I'm not saying we should just let laws go either. The weapons of our warfare are lawmaking. No. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. So the reality is, is from cover to cover, homosexuality is seen as an act that is in rebellion against God. Now, most people, when they say, well, listen, how can you say that homosexuality is wrong? I've always been that way. You guys ever heard that argument? That just comes naturally to me. And people are like, I don't know what to say about that. Let me explain this to you. The fact that it comes naturally, that's exactly the problem. For someone, same-sex attraction comes naturally. That's the problem. Being really selfish comes very naturally to me. That's the problem. See, what comes naturally to all of us is the problem for all of us. Because we inherited not the ability to make mistakes, to commit sins, but we inherited from Adam a sin disposition, that rebellion is our default condition. So for one person, same-sex attraction is the rebellion. For somebody else, you can't go near a liquor store without drinking a six-pack. For somebody else, you can't go to a convenience store without buying $2,000 worth of scratch-offs. For somebody else, you need the nicest, newest thing, and right as the next one comes out, and you're in debt up to your eyeballs. For another person, you can't go buy Krispy Kreme without selling the place out. Listen, in our day and age, people think that sexual sin is the worst of all sins, and same-sex attraction is the worst of all the worst kinds of sins. And I'm here to tell you that that's just dead wrong. For somebody who has same-sex attraction and someone who's judgmental and pharisaical in your heart, you both need the grace of God equally. So we need to stop as a church thinking that people who have same-sex attraction are the worst sinners. We need to start thinking like the Apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. We all got our stuff. All of us. And we're all radically in the need of the grace of God. I was talking to someone who's like, well, that's easy for you to say because you're heterosexual. I'm like, but listen, heterosexual sexual immorality is rampant in America as well. All people, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what it is, we are all equally sinners in need of salvation. Equally. And we all come to Jesus. Amen. We all come to Jesus the same way. We come saying, Lord, I am broken. Left up to my own devices, God, you are going to get radical rebellion. And sure, my rebellion looks different from that person's and that person's that one. But it's not about their sin. Lord, I want you to deal with my sin. 
If we start taking the planks out of our own eyes, then in humility we can go and say, listen, God's working on me. I have not arrived. But can we talk about something I see in your life? And it's not judgmental. It's not standing in the judge's seat. It's simply a brother broken or a sister broken going to another brother or sister saying, look, I love you enough to be concerned for you and pray for me too. I got a whole plethora of my own stuff. So we'll talk about this more, but we need to say this because people struggle with this stuff. How do we navigate this? I always tell people, how should we navigate homosexuals? I'm like, the same way we navigate all sinners. We love on them, we encourage them, we do not excuse sinfulness, and we point them to Jesus because Jesus can save anybody. He saved you and he saved me. That's the same for someone who's got a gambling problem, who's got a food addiction, who's got an alcohol addiction, who's got a drug addiction. Maybe someone in here is squeaky clean and you're more righteous than Jesus and you look down as a judge on everyone. We approach you the same way. (laughs) We're all the same. So that's the homosexuality piece. And then, of course, you have Lot with his great ideas, offering up his daughters. Now, we read this and we think to ourselves, This is absolutely horrible, and it is. But the reality is, is that in that culture, I hate to tell you girls, women had no rights. They were considered to be property. Daughters were second-class citizens. And that is abhorrent to us. Why? Because America was founded on the teachings of the Bible where all people are created equal. And you look at every single culture where the gospel is not permeating the culture, and you will find the same exact thing. Same exact thing. So the reason we even can say, this is awful, we say, thank you, Jesus. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul in verse 22 says, submit to one another in love, and then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And women say, you have to be kidding me. The Apostle Paul, I mean, how sexist can you be? Right? You guys heard that? The Bible is so, so sexist and misogynistic. It's just horrible. And they, they throw all, I'm like, listen, you don't even get this. When the Apostle Paul said, wives, submit to your husbands, nobody talked like that in that culture. Why? Because women didn't even realize they had the choice. When the Apostle Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's saying, look, even though you're free in Jesus, still live this way. When they read that in Ephesus, they were just like, the men's jaws dropped. You can't find any writings like that outside of the Bible because nobody thought that way. Women just did what their husbands told them to. They didn't have jobs. They weren't educated. And if they didn't have a husband or an older son, they were on welfare. That's the way it went. So when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's saying, look, because you are free in Christ, because God has set you free, glorious liberty, Don't just abandon your family, but submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord. And if anybody's being sexist in that, the Apostle Paul's really tough on men. Because as wives you submit, men die for your wives. Jesus is Pastor Daniel taught that over and over again, the Bible gives examples of what we would consider great men and women and how humility was a part of their character. Lot, who was a leader in his community and a very wealthy man, bowed with his face to the ground to men he didn't even know and offered them lodging in his own home. This is an example that might be hard to follow, but it's necessary to learn to do so. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue with his teaching, Sodom and Gomorrah. You will get into the interaction of the angels and Lot with the men of Sodom. You'll start to get an idea of their wickedness and the reasons that God had decided to render a final judgment on the area. Pastor Daniel is going to remind you that sin is sin and that any sin is bad enough to earn God's final judgment. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Patriarchs next time. Until then, may God bless.